Hi, I'm Abby, a functional dietitian and gut health expert. Hi, I'm Jillian, a functional dietitian that specializes in women's health and hormones. And this is Your Body Has Your Back podcast. Together, we have over 20 years of experience supporting clients in healing their gut and hormone symptoms and guiding them from overwhelm to ease in their body. We help clients reconnect with their body and transform their lives using targeted nutrition, lifestyle, and supplement therapies. Finding optimal health in our modern chaotic world is more challenging than ever. And now it's our mission to provide you with the tools you need to strengthen your relationship with your body, to resolve your gut and hormone symptoms, and become your greatest health advocate. Join us for honest, inspired and offbeat conversations on health that will leave you feeling empowered to take action so that that you can can trust your body has your back. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, we are diving into specific nutrition strategies that help to lower internal inflammation and conclude chronic inflammation, as nutrition is one of the greatest tools to balance and combat chronic inflammation. But before we dive in, we want to speak to resources for non-nutrition strategies to chronic inflammation that we spoke about in our most recent episode. So if significant gut imbalances or cortisol imbalances, which are kind of two of the dynamics that we spoke to on the root causes of chronic inflammation in our most recent episode are at play, we really want to kind of understand what those specific dynamics are in that unique individual and address those. So functional testing is really going to be the best tool for us to understand what's at play in that unique individual. Functional testing in terms of the gut health piece would be a comprehensive stool test, and that's going to help us to identify and address any of the gut imbalances or dynamics that are causing an inflammatory response in the gut. If we're looking at cortisol and the health of the adrenals, a Dutch adrenal test or any sort of Dutch test also measures um, and helps to kind of provide insight around the health of the adrenals and the function of cortisol and the level of all things to do with cortisol. So those would be kind of the best tools to help to address those root causes. And those are both tests that Jillian and I offer in our practices, and we see their value every day in the health of our clients. So to continue to build those resources, too, outside of functional testing for more of the lifestyle approaches to inflammation, we have a wealth of past episodes uh, where we've done more deep dives in areas in lifestyle that we spoke about in the last episode that are definitely drivers of that kind of root cause of inflammation. So in our kind of for strategies around stress, our episode three, all about stress. For strategies around sleep, we've got episode seven, all around sleep. Um, And for strategies for blood sugar, episode two, the roller coaster of blood sugar is really going to give you all of the strategies to really help to start tomorrow uh, what you can that are going to be really impactful from a lifestyle approach. Because what we're going to focus on in today's episode is to really give you specific nutrition strategies that you can utilize, again, starting tomorrow, to support the better balance and tolerance to inflammation in your body. So let's dive in. All right. So let's get started. And I want to start off with kind of the big big picture focus here in terms of nutrition. So in terms of strategies for naturally lowering inflammation and specifically using 
you know, food and nutrition for addressing the chronic inflammation that we discussed in depth in our, our last episode, we want to think about the big picture here before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty nutrition strategies and utilizing, you know, functional foods and specific, you know, foods and nutrients for lowering inflammation. So the big picture goal here is really to establish an anti-inflammatory dietary pattern overall. On a foundational level, we would encourage you to consider using the balanced plate or the gut and hormone healing plate, as we so lovingly refer to it as, that we uh, covered in a lot of depth in episode 17 of the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, we would highly recommend giving that one a listen before you dive into these micro strategies that we'll discuss for lowering inflammation today. So using the balanced plate as a guide for meals is truly the foundation of establishing an anti-inflammatory dietary pattern. By using this tool to optimize meals, you will naturally prioritize many of the core aspects of this anti-inflammatory diet. And some of the the key things that the balanced plate will help you do include uh, bringing together balanced macronutrients for supporting blood sugar stability. So this means including an optimal balance of carbohydrates, protein, healthy fats, um, really at meals consistently throughout the day. It's super, super fun to focus on, you know, the functional foods, the specific foods that can help with lowering inflammation, but it's really important to remember that, you know, imbalanced blood sugar can be a massive driver of inflammation. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that we have our foundational meal components really, really dialed in and that we are supporting blood sugar on that basic level. Using the balanced plate as a tool uh, naturally emphasizes lots of fiber-rich plant foods, including starchy and non-starchy vegetables. It encourages the adequate consumption of high-quality protein sources and healthy fats. And overall, if we're using the balanced plate as a guide, we are likely well on our way to balancing blood sugar and eating a diet that's rich in whole foods and micronutrients, which is kind of the core of an anti-inflammatory dietary pattern. So wanted to start big picture there. Definitely check out again, episode 17 on the balance plate for kind of deeper education and strategies for actually um, breaking down the balance plate and support for how to put that, you know, into action in in day-to-day life. And then lastly, before we dive into discussing specific foods and deeper strategies for lowering inflammation, we really want to point out that an anti-inflammatory diet is a diet free of guilt and judgment. If you are in a stage of your healing journey where you are attaching morality to specific foods or certain foods are creating a lot of stress for you, a lot of shame or a lot of guilt, this is incredibly, incredibly important to recognize. As a friendly reminder, there is no such thing as a perfect diet and no one food um, is going to make or break your health journey when it comes to thinking about inflammation. And the stress that your body experiences from emotions like guilt and shame that, that are often attached to eating certain foods or maybe eating a meal that didn't go as planned, this stress is likely far worse for your body than the food itself at the end of the day. So we felt it was important to kind of call that out as we dive into some of these deeper strategies for lowering inflammation with food. Such an important point. 
I think, quite frankly, not talked about enough. Yeah. I could go off, you know, on the deepest rabbit hole, uh, you know, or off on the biggest tangent on that one. Um, and I feel very passionate about it. So um, just something to consider as you're, you know, navigating your your nutrition. All right. So let's jump into these micronutrition strategies, but really macro when they come to uh, helping us to support chronic inflammation. So the first we're going to talk about are phytonutrients. So phytonutrients are a really big umbrella term that comprise many different beneficial plant compounds. So these plant compounds serve to protect the health of the plant as well as contribute to the plant's color, flavor, and aroma. So in humans, phytonutrients play a significant role in supporting human health, specifically around balancing and reducing chronic inflammation. So phytonutrients are literally where the term eat the rainbow comes from because each color family comprises different varieties of beneficial phytonutrients. So phytonutrients cover several families of these beneficial compounds, some of which you may have heard of before. We've got carotenoids, indols, glucosinolates, organosulfur compounds, phytosterols, polyphenols, and saponins. Lots of words that I'm going to trip over in the next couple of sections is what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we could be here all day talking about the specific phytochemicals that we've identified because we've identified over 10,000 unique types of beneficial plant compounds. So big picture, the guidance is to eat colorful veggies and fruits. You know, we want to be aiming for five different colors and types per day. And the big goal throughout the week is 30 different types throughout the week. So that's just kind of like laying the foundations of like, okay, let's zoom out. We do want to highlight some of the specifics around these phytochemicals to kind of give you insight into just like how impactful um, some of these plant compounds can be and really like why our balanced plate and our gut and hormone healing plate is like 50% of the plate is made up of these colorful plant compounds. And like, why the heck is that? Here's some insight. So the first one that we kind of want to highlight is lycopene. So lycopene is a red plant compound in the carotenoid family. So it's found in tomatoes, watermelon, grapefruit, apricot, melons, peaches, grapes, cranberries. And it's a really powerful antioxidant that kind of primarily has really potent anti-inflammatory properties. So lycopene has, um, as its kind of role in the anti-inflammatory, it helps to regulate inflammatory signaling pathways and activate the expression of antioxidant genes. So genes that actually help to turn down the volume on inflammation. It can prevent the production of the chemical mediators uh, that we kind of spoke about in the last episode that modulate immune reactions, such as things like the cytokines, chemokines, nitric oxide, and cyclooxygenase. It also acts as an anti-diabetic agent, attenuating uh, kind of endothelial dysfunction, so kind of dysfunction in the um, cardiovascular system, we could say that simply, because of its antioxidant action. And it also can inhibit more of these kind of aberrant inflammatory enzymes protecting against things like autoimmune dynamics, irritable bowel disease, MS, and cancer risks. So lycopene is extremely relevant to the prevention of metabolic disorders, cardiovascular diseases, cancers, all really at a root of it have a big inflammation drivers. So big fan of lycopene. And what's interesting, actually, in terms of lycopene and its absorption is we can get actually a higher increase of the bioavailability, meaning absorption into our body through cooked red fruits and vegetables. So we can see higher bioavailability of lycopene from a cooked tomato than necessarily a raw tomato. 
So always in the conversation of like, are fruits and vegetables better cooked or raw? I feel like people feel very passionate one way or another when really like it's both. We just kind of highlight different nutrients in different states, whether things are cooked or raw, we kind of get absorption of, of different compounds in, in different ways. So next is anthocyanins, phytonutrient found in blue and purple fruits and vegetables. So we've got our beets, our cranberries, our currants, our grapes, our blueberries, cherries, peach, plums, strawberries, raspberries, pomegranates. So anthocyanins are antioxidants that have anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, anti-cancer, and anti-diabetic properties. Anthocyanins neutralize reactive oxygen species. So you're going to hear a lot of that term that are produced through chemical reactions in the body and they drive inflammation. So anything that helps to reduce or protect against ROS, reactive oxygen species, is a really powerful anti-inflammatory. That's the action of it. So anthocyanins protect cells from oxidative damage. Chronic uncontrolled oxidative damage is an extremely significant root cause of that chronic inflammation and many other chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, cancer, and pulmonary diseases. All right, next we've got chlorophylls. So these are probably a term that's really familiar to a lot of us. Any like from you know high school chemistry, even you're like, ah, chlorophyll, like the energy of the cell and the plant. So there are dark leafy greens like spinach, kale, broccoli, parsley, celery, kiwi green grapes, green apples, matcha, which we're going to highlight a little bit later too, or green tea. So chlorophylls are antioxidants that function through reducing those reactive oxygen species by inhibiting the enzymes that drive inflammatory reactions, making them useful compounds for treating conditions related to oxidative stress, like inflammatory diseases, cancer, cardiovascular, aging. Chlorophyll serves to protect functions against these oxidants, particularly in the acute phase of inflammation. And then I really liked this study that I found that chlorophyll also plays an important role in anti-aging. thought I would throw this one in. So studies have shown that chlorophyll are strong inhibitors of hyaluronidase, uh, meaning chlorophyll can play a large role in maintaining hyaluronic acid homeostasis and increasing the level of hyaluronic acid within the skin. Um, so that's really regulating our skin hydration and anti-inflammatory action and healing at the level of the skin. So green fruits and vegetables really pro for skin health, basically. And then we've got two more that we're diving into. Lutein is a green-colored phytonutrient found in kiwis, spinach, turnips, greens, or turnip greens, uh, romaine lettuce, kale, broccoli, cucumber, and bell pepper. So lutein, again, antioxidant. We're getting the theme here. And really plays a significant role in protection for vision. Um, so lutein plays an important role in suppressing inflammatory chemicals as well as supporting the tight junctions that have a big role in the GI system. They lower oxidative stress and in kind of inducing antioxidant actions in the body. So lutein helps to slow the progression of inflammatory ocular disorders. So basically protecting the eyes against free radicals and oxidative damage. So lutein really collects, actually its highest concentration is in the retina of the eye which is really interesting that we can see certain um, phytonutrients collect in higher percent, like kind of concentrations in different areas of the body based on where their activity is more, more prominent. And then quercetin. So a polyphenol in the flavonoid family found in apples, berries, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, capers, grapes, onions, shallots, tea, tomatoes, as well as many nuts and seeds. And this one has a wide uh, range of biological actions, including anti- uh, carcinogenic, anti-inflammatory, and antiviral activities. 
um, as well as protects against kind of lipid membranes. So the kind of communication that our cells use to communicate with other cells in the body at large and really protecting um, at a cellular level. So quercetin inhibits the production of any inflammatory producing enzymes and it limits the LPS-induced inflammation in the gut. So it's one of those endotoxins that we talked about um, in the last episode. Quercetin also helps to inhibit the release of inflammatory cytokines and histamines um, and is a stabilizer for the mast cells in both the gut and body. So helping to downregulate inflammatory allergic reactions in the body. And we use that uh, kind of more therapeutically too, not just through food. So big picture, some of my favorite ways to increase the intake of colorful phytonutrients is I'm a big juicer. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm always sharing juices and concoctions. Um, I like to make a batch of juices with leftover, like the fruits and veggies that are kind of like a little sad in my fridge that have been there for a little while. And I'll do that like one or two days a week and I double batch, like I'll make a bigger amount. So I have juices for like four days of the week. Um, I'm not a juicer every single day, even though that would be amazing and I would be supportive of that, but I just don't want to clean the juicer that much. So I find juicing to be fun. Not everybody's into it, but that's a great way. Smoothies are another great way. I love to add things like frozen cauliflower, zucchini, cucumbers, broccoli sprouts for like the extra veggies, and then really high antioxidant frozen berries um, are, you know, wonderful smoothie ingredients that I feel like everybody can get behind. Thinking about adding a fruit or vegetable pretty much at every meal and snack um, is a good goal. You know, we're looking for progress, not perfection. And then any recipe that you're looking at, Jillian and I both practice this, like beef up the amount of veggies. If a recipe is calling for like, oh, like one bell pepper or like one cucumber, you're like, I'm going to make it two. Or it's like one cup of something, you're like, I'm going to make it three. We don't have to overwhelm the poor recipe with just veggies, but usually some of the recipes that we might be using from like a cookbook or something, we could kind of like beef up the volume. And then don't sleep on the frozen. So frozen veggies, frozen fruit are like amazing. Um, And honestly, sometimes they're flash frozen. So they're frozen like right after being picked. And sometimes we can actually see them have like higher antioxidant values than maybe even some of the fruits and vegetables that have taken a long time to get to the grocery store. So, um, you know, could we even be getting more value from frozen fruits and vegetables? Like, I don't know. So definitely great for like pantry staples and things. Jilly, do you have any uh, kind of the practicality tips that maybe we missed? Well, first, I I love that you called out kind of the piece on fresh versus frozen and cooked versus uncooked because people do have very strong opinions um, in the health space about how, you know, veggies should be consumed. And ultimately, there are pros and cons to all of these things. So I think the main focus being include a wide variety of plant foods, bright, colorful fruits and veggies, diversify, um, and choose what works for you, what works for your budget, your lifestyle. And ultimately, you are getting a massive benefit from all of these things. And, you know, there's there's no right or wrong answer there in my mind in terms of, um, you know, cooked versus uncooked frozen versus, you know, fresh. So, um, I love that you pointed that out in terms of the, the practicality with, you know, kind of getting in more of these bright, colorful fruits and and veggies. I I love your point about the recipes. I, I will reiterate too, with kind of doubling, tripling the amount of veggies. I, you know, am, am definitely like the queen of that. Um, and Andrew's 
it's funny. He's like kind of picked up on that too now where, you know, if he wants to make a certain recipe or he's like planning something for the week, he's like, oh, but this doesn't really have, you know, much veggies, but we could add, you know, green beans and cauliflower rice and this and that. But, but yeah, a lot of veggies, a lot of recipes are just like sparse on the veggies and I'll call out because it's like soup season right now too. Soup recipes in particular, it's like celery, carrot and onion, and maybe like some greens. I throw it all in there and it's so easy in something like soup. So, you know, if it's the weather's getting cooler where you are and you're taking advantage of, you know, soups and stews and and kind of those one pot meals, so easy to, you know, chop up a bag of green beans and throw that in the mix, you know, mushrooms, um, you know, all sorts of things that you could just throw in or even your frozen veggies, which is super easy. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, kind of doing a little bit of food prep when it comes to the the fruit and veggies at the beginning of the week, even just like, okay, you know, washing a bunch of fruit and having it, you know, in a container right in the fridge, um, slicing up a bunch, a bunch of veggies that I can incorporate into, you know, snacks throughout the week, just things that create the path of least resistance. And I think bringing that intentionality to the grocery store um, and kind of right when you get home thinking about, all right, what can I sort of chop up and and get ready to go for the week so it can be really easy to to bring these things into the mix. So, you know, I think I, I just echo all of your wonderful tips and I think just finding small opportunities to increase, you know, the, the non-starchy veg and, you know, the, um, you know, really just the bright, colorful fruits and veggies as a whole. Yeah. I was just thinking of it too, of like soups and stuff that like the whole family of beans and legumes you know, those are like really nutrient dense and antioxidant dense plants. Um, they're a little, like they've got a little bit higher of a starch content, which is not a bad thing, but just, you know, they're not totally in the non-starchies, but like those count towards those like antioxidants too. Um, but I totally feel the same. Yeah. In like, it's like chicken noodle soup with like a carrot. And I'm like, what? let's get some like fun, like stuff in there. That's going to make the soup more interesting too. But yeah, we can really like beef it up. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, typically too, we're getting all those great anti-inflammatory compounds, but it's also more satiating, right? You know, we got more fiber, more bulk to meals, which always, you know, feels good. Um, or your legumes, which are, you know, super great source of fiber. Just like staying power, blood sugar stability. So, you know, lo- lots of benefits there. Hey, Jillian here. If you suspect that you might be dealing with hormonal issues based on your symptoms, or you have a confirmed hormonal condition like PCOS, endometriosis, PMDD, or hypothyroidism, chances are you haven't been given the best tools or support to address your hormonal symptoms effectively. I know because I've been there and I've really experienced firsthand just how frustrating it can be to navigate your hormonal health and your chronic symptoms in our conventional healthcare system. But the truth is, establishing a supportive foundation with your nutrition and knowing how to confidently nourish your body and your unique needs is the number one place to start for healing your hormones naturally. I am so passionate about hormone health and have really made it my life's mission to provide women with the comprehensive support and tools they need to balance their hormones effectively. This is exactly why I created my self-study program, Eat to Heal Your Hormones. This program walks you through everything you need to know about your hormones, how to assess for patterns of hormonal imbalance, and helps you identify the root causes driving your symptoms. Eat to Heal Your Hormones teaches you exactly how to eat to support your body's unique needs, how to harness the power of functional nutrition to balance your hormones, how to supplement strategically, and how to end confusion and stress around food for good. 
If you struggle with symptoms like acne, miserable or irregular cycles, head hair loss, weight gain, fatigue, or anxiety, this self-study program is for you. Eat to Heal Your Hormones gives you access to the proven blueprint that I've used to help hundreds of women balance their hormones. This low-cost self-study program is truly the best place to start for healing your hormones naturally. You can access the program using the link in our show notes. Next up on our list of anti-inflammatory kind of powerhouses is herbs and spices. So this includes dried herbs and spices as well as fresh herbs. Not only are herbs and spices an incredible way to flavor your food from, you know, kind of a taste perspective, but they also contain really amazing chemical compounds that do have the ability to disrupt inflammatory pathways and even to inhibit the release of inflammatory messengers in the body. The anti-inflammatory power of herbs and spices is also highly concentrated. So, you know, these herbs and spices are very dense from an anti-inflammatory perspective. To give you a more tangible way to understand the benefits of herbs and spices, I want to take a second to talk about the ORAC scale. ORAC is short for Oxygen Radical Absorbance Capacity. I will be saying ORAC for the rest of this, this segment. Um, but this test, this ORAC test, is a, a test tube analysis that measures the total antioxidant power or the total antioxidant capacity of specific foods and other chemical substances. Foods that score high in an ORAC analysis have the highest potential to protect our cells from oxidative stress and damage. In studies done at the USDA Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging at Tufts, which shout out, that's where I started my career in nutrition uh, research, Um, But researchers here reported that a daily intake between 3,000 to 5,000 ORAC units had a significant impact on plasma and tissue antioxidant uh, capacity in the body. Not surprisingly, foods that score high overall on the ORAC scale are going to include lots of those bright, colorful uh, fruits and veggies that we just talked about. But what might not be quite as obvious or kind of um, talked about as much is that uh, really most all of the top kind of scorers on the ORAC scale are are almost exclusively spices, um, which is crazy. And, you know, I just, I, I don't know about you, Abby, but I, I feel like spices just kind of get neglected. Um, or they're not, I don't know, not talked about, not utilized um, as much, I guess, as as people are talking about the phytonutrients and the fibers and things like that. Oh, yeah. Or it's like, you open the drawer and it's like the sad spice that's like, I've been here for three years. And you're like, oh, yeah. we need to refresh you. Like, <laughs> like let's 100%. get some like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's a little daunting. I think for some people that they're like, do I need to buy like all the individual spices? So like, I understand, but yeah, it's like, let's like liven up. And I feel like we have good, we'll get some good like application parts of this, but oh, yeah. um, I definitely feel like it's, you know, surprising of like, they are the top antioxidant containing foods. And that's a big statement. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, yeah, just way, way underutilized. And to give you a couple kind of specific examples to put this into perspective, um, I was looking at the ORAC food list, uh, one of the most up-to-date or kind of, you know, recent lists I could find. And I wanted to, to kind of compare some, some foods, a couple foods for you. So, um, uh, one thing that I thought was really cool was that uh, three and a quarter cups of raw spinach, 
has an ORAC score of about 1500. While one teaspoon, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon has an ORAC score of uh, over 5,000, like 5,250. This means that one teaspoon of ground cinnamon essentially has the same antioxidant capacity as over 11 cups of raw spinach. 11 cups of raw spinach for one teaspoon of cinnamon which is crazy. And again, we're speaking just to the antioxidant capacity. Obviously certain, you know, spinach is going to have other, you know, nutrients, micronutrients, things involved. But I thought that was pretty crazy. Another example is 1.5 cups of raw broccoli has an ORAC score of about 1,510, while two teaspoons of turmeric has an ORAC score of over 10,000. 1.5 cups of raw broccoli 1,500, you know, in terms of the score. Two teaspoons of, of turmeric had a score, an ORAC score of over 10,000. So just to put into perspective, like the massive, massive antioxidant capacity that, you know, herbs and spices hold, which is why we're kind of like emphasizing this opportunity um, in terms of herbs and spices being a really kind of potent anti-inflammatory in your diet. So we wanted to, to point this out again because we feel like herbs and spices get forgotten or maybe we use them as a garnish, you know, to make something look nice at, at, you know, the end of cooking. Um, and in no way, shape or form is this like discouraging the consumption of fruits and, and veggies. Obviously we just talked about the, the benefits there. Um, you know, but they are lower down on the ORAC scale and ultimately a diet that is rich in a wide variety of fruits and veggies is going to be foundational for, you know, uh, that anti-inflammatory dietary pattern. But if we start to integrate some of these potent anti-inflammatory herbs and spices, this can really, you know, kind of take us, take us to the next level with our, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory diet. So, um, so we really want to encourage you to be heavy handed, be heavy handed with your herbs and spices. And now we want to chat about some of our kind of favorite or top anti, uh, anti-inflammatory herbs and spices and give you some, you know, tangible strategies or tips for actually incorporating these regularly. So first up, um, I wanted to mention uh, dried oregano, rosemary, and thyme, which are actually three of my like favorite dried herbs to use regularly. I feel like we, especially oregano, I feel like I burn through jars of, of oregano. Um, but interestingly, these, these three, so again, oregano, rosemary, and thyme, they make up, I think they're number two, three, and four on the, uh, the, the ORAC scale, or they're, you know, definitely all in the top five. So I love using, um, these herbs. If I'm making a quick salad dressing just goes really great. If you're making a, a vinaigrette, especially like a Greek vinaigrette, which is really nice. I also love using these. If I'm like marinating chicken, marinating shrimp, you know, they're great to throw in with olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, um, some lemon, or if I'm making, you know, a red sauce or a pasta sauce, um, I'll throw a whole bunch of these herbs in there um, or, or with a batch of soup. Again, you know, just loading it in. You can't really go wrong um, in my mind in terms of, you know, it, it's hard to overdo it. Uh, you know, I tend to like things pretty flavorful and I'm, you know, super heavy handed, I think with like, you know, garlic, onion, all the herbs and spices, but you just can't mess it up in my mind. Oh, I'm fully in agreement there. Like I've never added, I mean, definitely like too much salt. I'm like, okay, we went a little heavy handed there, but like herbs are not, herbs and spices are not that. It's like, you're not going to get like smacked in the face with like time. It's like if anything, like you can always add more. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so those are our three great ones. Another really amazing one is cinnamon, which, you know, I mentioned above in terms of doing that little comparison with some foods, um, on the ORAC scale, but you know, this is definitely a favorite of mine. I think Abby also a favorite of yours. I feel like I, I see you. Yeah. Using all the cinnamon as well. So cinnamon contains really high amounts of antioxidants and it's also uh, beneficial for supporting insulin sensitivity and blood sugar balance, which we've talked a little bit about in, um, you know, other contexts or episodes on the podcast, but really today highlighting the anti-inflammatory benefits of cinnamon. One of my favorite snacks at the moment is a sliced apple with almond butter or peanut butter topped with a boatload of cinnamon. So good. It's, it's amazing, you know, kind of the, the transformation an apple with nut butter can take when you slice it up and put some, some cinnamon on it. Cinnamon has that like natural sweetness, which is nice. So it also, you know, really enhances things from a taste perspective. I've also really been into, clearly I'm in like fall mode right now, uh, really into dicing up an apple. So I'll dice up, you know, a whole apple pretty small, and then I'll saute it in either some coconut oil or ghee and a boatload of cinnamon. And then I'll use this as a topping for Greek yogurt or chia pudding. Oh, it is so good. I stole that one from you and I do that frequently now. So good. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so good. So those are some things I've been loving recently. I also love, you know, throwing cinnamon on top of coffee. Even if I'm making a hot coffee, I'll sprinkle cinnamon on top, a great anti-inflammatory boost and, you know, gives it that nice kind of natural, subtle sweetness as well. Um, But ultimately you could throw cinnamon into your smoothie. You could throw it into your oats. You could throw it on your toast with nut or seed butter. Um, Anything that you're, you know, kind of has a, I think a little bit of a sweeter vibe, it's going to go well in. Okay, I've been topping my cottage cheese on cinnamon raisin toast with cinnamon and like a drizzle of honey. It's been like my like go-to breakfast for like weeks now. <laughs> that sounds so good. So good. I'm, I'm on a kick and I'm like, I don't know when this kick is going to end, but we're just going to keep riding it. <laughs> I love that. Um, next up we have turmeric. Turmeric is one that most of you have probably heard of. Um, it's probably, I would say the most well-known from you know, in this herbs and spice category that we're talking about in terms of potent anti-inflammatories. And the reason that turmeric is such a potent anti-inflammatory is because of the main bioactive compound it contains called curcumin. Curcumin works by down-regulating the activity of specific enzymes that are released in the body that either um, induce or amplify an inflammatory response. It also inhibits the production of inflammatory cytokines, some of the big ones that we mentioned in our first episode on inflammation, um, uh, the uh, TNF-alpha and the IL-6 or the interleukin-6, amongst a whole bunch of others in terms of um, what what curcumin can actually modulate or impact um, from an inflammatory cytokine perspective. Um, so a lot of research around curcumin and lowering inflammation. Curcumin is also something that we definitely will use there, like therapeutically in practice in terms of, um, you know, in supplement form, but, it, you know, with incorporating it into your diet, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there and, um, just lots and lots of benefits. Also to point out, which I think, you know, a lot of people know this. I feel like this is a fun fact that like went crazy for a while, but um, just to, to mention this again for anyone that hasn't heard this, you can actually significantly uh, increase the bioavailability or the absorbability of curcumin in your body by pairing it with black pepper. 
So some of my favorite ways to use turmeric include uh, making turmeric rice. This is probably something that I do I, I do this very often. It tastes amazing. I'll cook rice, but I'll cook it in bone broth. And then um, I'll add turmeric, black pepper. Sometimes I'll like saute some garlic and onion and throw it in there. And it like transforms rice. It's so good. And the, the rice ends up being this like really beautiful, you know, orange color, which is fun. I also love, you know, using turmeric in uh, marinades for like chicken or fish. Um, also in, you know, curries, soups, stews. It, you know, works super, super well. I would say those are, are kind of the most common ways that I, I use it. Yeah. I love that in the rice. I love like coconut rice, but I'm like, oh, like that could be another, like just like step up the like flavor and experience of like coconut rice. And then like throw, I always like throw like cilantro in there. So you're like eat another boom. Pow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like anti-inflammatory. <laughs> I love it. I've been like a running since we, we've been building out this outline I was telling Jilly before like there's just like a running list in my head that I'm like checking off all the like anti-inflammatory foods that we naturally like now are just part of our like routine but I've like been giving myself like extra credit points every time I like eat the powerful one for the last like two weeks and I'm like Bonus. I'm so proud of myself literally I'm like oh, yeah. it's like a video game <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh I love that but it 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 is really fun and this is like I'm, this is why Abby and I get so freaking jazzed about food you know obviously we're functional dietitians we decided to do this for a living so we should probably you know care about this but food is so freaking cool right like it's so cool food brings so much joy but from like a health perspective and like you know think thinking about you know nutrition science it's just incredible what what you know these foods can can do um you know therapeutically and so it just yeah really really cool and i think once you have built that foundation that i mentioned earlier on in the episode being able to optimize in small ways with, you know, the herbs, the spices, you know, diversifying the phytonutrients, it's just fun. And it, you know, really, really uh, can make a difference over time from an inflammation perspective. Yeah. And I think from an interest perspective too, of like, you know, it's like, oh, we had rice last week. And you're like, well, this week we're going to like make it with like the turmeric and we're going to make it with like sauteed like onion and garlic. And like, we're going to change it up. So it's going to like be rice, but like different than you had it last week. I feel like one of the tools that really helped me to get into using more herbs and spices was to to find companies that already had blends. So instead of like me just buying like the oregano and the rosemary, because I found I was like, I mean, I those are such staples and I love those like intensely, but I found I was like using the same ones and I'd be like, oh my God, all my food like tastes the same. Like it always yeah. tastes like it's great, <laughs> but like, you know, it always tastes like a flair of Italian or something. Cause those were like my familiar herbs and spices. Totally. So one of my favorite companies is uh Saluna Garden Farms. Um, they're, they're local here to Boston, but they sell like online. I found them rid- like way back when at like a farmer's market. And she, um, does a really beautiful job of like very creative herb blends too, like some that are, you know, there's a curry blend and there's a chili blend and there's this like lemon pepper blend that I'm like obsessed with and it reminds me of childhood. But those like, so I just kind of like stockpile a bunch of those. And then it's like when I'm cooking and usually I'm like just rogue in the kitchen and I have no recipe that I'm going on. I'm like, Ooh, which one like feels like I haven't used in a while. And I'm going to kind of like change things up. So sometimes using spice like herb blends might be like more approachable if you're like just starting out um, versus buying like, you know, an entire spice cabinet of like individual spices because you're like, how do they play together? Like, I don't know. Um, or even there's a, another company that I actually just restocked on, which is like very much in my brain is this um, 
Jamu company, J-A-H-M-U, and they have this turmeric chai blend and it's so delicious. Like you can use it to make like a golden milk, but I've been putting it in like chia puddings or like an oatmeal or something as like, and it's like turmeric. It's got all those chai spices in it, like the cinnamons and the cloves and like these incredibly nutrient dense, but it like more just like totally transforms like the flavor and makes it just like so much more interesting. So I feel like those are fun things to like keep an eye out for as like, I mean, I'm still apparently if I'm, I was just going to call them training wheels and I'm like, well, I still have my training wheels on then because I don't buy single herbs anymore. I only buy blends. I still love blends. I do. I have like the, the specific single herbs that I feel like I just use a lot that I'm more comfortable with, but I still love, you know, a a good spice blend, um, herb blend. I feel like any, anytime I'm checking out a new farmer's market, I'm like, you know, scoping out, um, I literally just did this recently at a, at the Charleston farmer's market and bought Andrew a couple like, you know, seasoning blends. And it's fun because you can, from a flavor perspective, like transform a pretty basic meal with a fun spice blend. And it, you know, I think it is a good introduction if you're like newer to herbs and spices, but I think for anyone that's cooking at home a lot, it's just an easy approachable way to keep food really interesting and, you know, to kind of diversify, um, you know, things from a taste perspective, but then also to get, you know, all of the exposure to the great anti-inflammatories that we're talking about as well. A couple other great, you know, herbs and spices, uh, rosemary, bay leaf were two that I, I wanted to mention. Uh, ginger is another, which I think, you know, Ab, you're going to talk a little bit more about in a minute, but, um, you know, really all of, all of these kind of dried herbs, um, you know, herbs and spices I'm talking about are incredible. And then also your, your fresh herbs are wonderful. So, you know, cilantro, parsley, um, you know, dill, thyme, oregano in the fresh form, these can be super great. And again, can sort of transform a meal and add just that potent anti-inflammatory punch that we're looking for. Those are what often end in my juice too at the end of the week because I'll like want to include like the cilantro or the parsley and then I'm like well I got like a giant batch of parsley and I'm like how much parsley can I use and then I'm like oh I just I just juice the extra so it's like that or like a green sauce is another thing we've talked about in terms of people that are like I want to start using these fresh herbs but like then they just you know go to waste because I only use the whatever quarter cup or something that you know the recipe is asking for so just thinking about like creative ways you can turn them into like a green sauce which we've kind of talked about before like herbs I usually throw like avocado or like a mayonnaise like a fat and an onion and a some salt and apple cider vinegar or lemon and you like blend it up and it's like this amazing like dip for like veggies or salad dressing or marinade so like creative ways to kind of bring those in and like think about like, okay, how am I like not going to like throw away that like sad extras at the end of the yeah, week? Yeah, yeah, totally. And to build on that too, y- you can throw fresh herbs on a lot of things. You know, if you you used a small amount for a specific recipe, like I'll, I'll you know, chop up extra cilantro and just like throw it on my eggs in the morning or on, you know, my avocado toast. Um, you know, Abby mentioned like mixing fresh herbs into a grain or, or rice. Um, really you can, you can throw it on a lot of things as a, a flavor enhancer, which is fun. And then, you know, we get to, to use up any, um, extra from recipes too, but get creative, have fun with it. Um, really ultimately at the end of the day. And, um, it's, it's hard to go wrong with these herbs and spices. Hey, Abby here. I wanted to check in with you all about your gut health foundations. 
As you know, we talk a lot about the importance of practicing the foundations as the first place to start in your health journey. But what I hear from working with many of you is that you could use even more specific guidance on how to personalize those foundations to address your gut health. If you're struggling with bloating, constipation, loose stools, gas, or other frustrating digestive symptoms, I know how overwhelming navigating through conflicting and even extreme health guidance can be. That is why I created the Nourish Gut Guide, a self-paced course that guides you in personalizing the essential foundations that must exist to heal your gut symptoms. This $200 course is meant to be your start to finish resource before you waste countless hours Googling elimination diets, spending hundreds on supplements, or even investing thousands in functional testing. After all, I've seen it countless of times in clients that when you master your gut health foundations, those additional expenses aren't even needed. Or if and when they are, the process is so much more successful when you do. So join us inside of the Nourish Gut Guide to discover how to practice the foundational steps using the tools you already have access to, to eliminate your poop problems and build long-term resilient gut health. Let's talk about teas. So teas are a category that are so nutrient dense and packed with anti-inflammatory compounds. Um, you know, generally speaking, we can confidently say that like all types of teas provide anti-inflammatory benefits. So like if you are a tea drinker or curious about tea or like sometimes I like tea, like you are doing yourself a, a world of good. So, you know, whatever type of tea that you're drinking, if we're not calling it out today, like keep keep doing it if it feels good. But we do have some biggies that we want to highlight. The first is green tea. So green tea is a powerful anti-inflammatory that contains those phytochemicals kind of in the flavonoid family. Um, green tea is higher in antioxidant compounds than black tea, really due to the, the shading of the plant during its growth, which kind of allows for the accumulation, um, the higher accumulation of, of phytonutrient compounds. Um, so black tea is a, a form of anti-inflammatories as well, but green tea is going to like take it one step up. The main anti-inflammatory polyphenol in green tea are catechins, most notably ECGC, which I am not going to say that word. Um, so ECGC helps to suppress the actions of key enzymes that promote inflammatory actions. And it also promotes the activation of antioxidant substances in the body, such as glutathione um, and glutathione peroxidase. So helping to kind of scavenge those free radicals um, and really in inhibit inflammatory responses. So catechins have shown significant benefit, interestingly enough, in IBD, so irritable bowel disease, and IBS, um, really by helping the, to promote the growth of beneficial intestinal bacteria and regulating the balance of the intestinal flora and also helping to regulate the tight junctions in the colon. So that's really stabilizing to the gut barrier, protecting against things like leaky gut or intestinal permeability, which are dr major drivers of chronic inflammation in the gut and in the systemic body. So big fans of green tea and the ECGC kind of actions for that. Um, so catechins are naturally found, again, in black tea, in coffee, in berries, and in grapes. Matcha and green tea, they're kind of similar, just a different delivery. Matcha is the whole leaf that then kind of gets pulverized into the powder, and green tea is we're really just kind of steeping the leaves um, as opposed to consuming the whole leaf. Um, but both of those contain catechins and ECGC. Matcha does contain about three times the amount of ECGC than a lot of the kind of popular varieties of green tea. 
Um, and then my favorite brands, our favorite brands for tea, because um, we do want to be kind of consuming the kind of highest quality um, of teas and do find it helpful that tea companies do some like testing for the kind of quality and standards and protecting against some like chemical compounds that can be unintentionally part of the teas. Uh, so if you're looking for matcha, we're big fans of peak tea. And if you're looking for green tea, we love traditional medicinals. Peak Tea also actually has some green tea varieties as well. Love those brands. One thing I'll add, if you're a, a loose leaf tea person, um, I like doing like, er, you know, herbal infusions or, you know, buying like bulk blends. Uh, Mountain Rose Herbs is a great one in terms of, you know, quality. Whenever it comes to herbs and, you know, and spices, but things that are, you know, coming, coming from the ground and they're sort of in this concentrated form, there's always like a higher risk. Same thing like we talked about with plant protein powders, just higher risk for, um, you know, contaminants and specifically higher, higher levels of things like heavy metals, which ideally we want to avoid. Next is holy basil or Tulsi. This is an herb that's widely kind of used in Ayurvedic medicine. Um, that's kind of slowly becoming more mainstream and for good reason. Uh, so Tulsi is an adaptogen, which is an herb that helps with the adaptation to stress and kind of promotes the homeostasis in the body. Within Ayurveda, Tulsi is known as the incomparable one um, and the mother medicine of nature, which I just thought those were beautiful names and really kind of says a lot about the multidimensional benefits of Tulsi. So it's been found to protect organs and tissues against stress. So this includes stress from physical stress, such as like exercise or physical stressors, but also stress of exposure to industrial chemicals or heavy metals, countering metabolic stress through normalization of blood glucose, helping to support blood pressure and lipid levels, um, as well as physiological stress through positive effects on memory and cognitive function and through its benefits for both anxiety and antidepressant properties. So pretty extensive in terms of that protection from stress on that kind of um, physical and emotional front in the body. So Tulsi also protects against toxic chemical-induced injury by increasing the body's levels of antioxidant molecules, such as those glutathione that we've mentioned, and really helps to protect our cells and their membranes by kind of mopping up damaging free radicals um, in the body. A favorite tea brand that includes Tulsi in all of their blends is Organic India um, that has Tulsi kind of with there. You'll see it's like a Tulsi tea that also has like a chai flavor or a Tulsi tea that has a green tea flavor. Um, so they've kind of fusing Tulsi into the blends of teas, which is fun and really beneficial, especially from an anti-inflammatory kind of uh, benefit. I love the Organic India Tulsi teas. Specifically, need to call out the Tulsi Rose the Tulsi hibiscus, I would say those two are are my favorite and they have like kind of sweeter, brighter, florally type flavors. And then I also love the Tulsi peppermint if I'm in the mood for kind of that vibe. But I, I love their teas. Tulsi peppermint is like where I live. Like peppermint tea is like one of my absolute favorites, but I haven't tried their hibiscus. So I need to, I feel like that's like my like spring, summer. Totally. Like thing. And I'll do it like a sun tea where you just, um, like soak the tea bags like in a Sunday window or you don't even need a sunny window. Quite frankly, you just kind of like put them in a, you know, room temperature water. Um, and just, it takes a couple like hours for them to kind of let their goodness out, but makes for one that you could, you know, easily put in the fridge and drink cold. Um, which 
in the winter, I'm a little bit more of a hot tea drinker, but definitely in the summer, like an iced tea is like, oh yeah. Yeah. Hibiscus definitely is more ice, iced tea vibes in, in my mind as well. And the last one is ginger or ginger all, which is actually the phytonutrient in ginger that has its kind of more uh, pronounced anti-inflammatory and antioxidant characteristics. Um, So ginger all helps to scavenge those free radicals um, and really helps to actually reduce the activity of macrophages, which are kind of key immune cells that promote um, anti-inflammatory benefits. Ginger also has inhibitory effects on prostaglandins and leukotrienes, which can drive pain responses in the body. So this is really how ginger can mimic the action of an NSAID or an anti-inflammatory through its antioxidant mechanisms to reduce pain. Uh, We definitely utilize that in like kind of PMS um, and the using of kind of ginger from a food medicinal standpoint, as well as even some concentrated supplement standpoints um, to help reducing pain around like PMS. So really fascinating there. We like to enjoy ginger, um, like sliced, just taking the ginger root, slicing it um, thin and putting it in the bottom of a mug and then just pouring hot water over it and letting it kind of steep. Um, So you're kind of making a ginger tea, but you don't actually need like a tea bag or any kind of fancy thing, just the ginger root. I always like to add a little honey and um, lemon to that. Certainly you could use like ginger in in terms of like a tea, a ginger tea. Uh, You could juice or blend ginger. Uh, I like to make like a kind of concentrated tincture and adding um, like the other anti-inflammatories, maybe uh, turmeric, lemon, and like honey and making kind of a really concentrated tincture that then you could add to hot water and make like a tea. You could take like a little shot of it if you feel like you were kind of fighting off cold or inflammation-like symptoms. Um, you could add it to just water. So kind of a lot of creative ways that that you could use it or even put it into like frozen into like ice cubes and then kind of using it a little bit more long-term. And then certainly ginger can be used again as a, as a supplement that we kind of utilize more like in practice as a therapeutic tool. A couple ways that I like to use g- ginger just to build on that for you know, like a quick and dirt, dirty ginger tea, kind of similar to just slicing the tea and putting it in a mug. I'll just peel a big chunk of ginger and put it in a garlic press. So it'll, you know, kind of, because I feel like sometimes with just slicing it, it doesn't get as gingery and this makes for like a pretty potent, you know, ginger tea. And then same thing as ab, I like to add, you know, lemon, a little bit of honey, which is super tasty. Um, And then uh, one other thing I was going to mention is building on our conversation about like, we've talked about rice a lot in this episode, which is funny. Something that Andrew makes, which I now love, is a ginger garlic kind of rice situation where he'll saute like a whole ton of um, ginger and garlic, sometimes onion, and then, you know, mix that into rice. It kind of has, um, Abby, like Nautilus uh, vibes with the, yeah. That's what I was little. I was like, Ooh, like lemongrass ginger, yes, like yes. situation. Um, if anyone is in, in Boston or has visited Boston and, and, you know, has been to Nautilus, the, uh, duck, what, what do they call it? The, Oh, they're like giant duck dish. Yes. Oh yeah. Have you, I, have you not had that? Oh no, I've had it like multiple times. Like, oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't admit how many times I've eaten it. I ate it like But that week. rice. <laughs> it's so good. Their ginger garlic rice is, I think that's maybe where it like, 
Andrew got inspired for it. But um, yeah, anytime, I, you know, we're making a dish with sort of Asian vibes or flavors and we're making rice, it's going to be like a ginger garlic rice. It's so good. It's so good. I feel like admittedly, I haven't really been like, I don't cook a ton with ginger. Like I use it in like the tinctures and teas and like that's like kind of where my like ginger utilization but I'm like man am I sleeping on ginger in like I think you clearly might. my I rice think you might be yeah <laughs> definitely in your rice and I feel like that could go good with the coconut milk rice um, I feel like completely I'm like wait what ginger oh my fridge is like yeah yeah we've been eyeing you for, for years <laughs> yeah stop throwing us in the juicer yeah, here heat us up lady <laughs> yeah. um but I actually, I don't know if you saw, I, I um, posted a soup that I make that is a like turmeric chicken soup that has coconut milk in it, but it has like a boatload of garlic and ginger, you know, sauteed in it and it is delicious. Um, so yeah, so you can, you, you know, cook it, cook it as well. Um, and then last little tip I wanted to mention here, cause I recommend this often to clients when we're, you know, utilizing ginger M- more often than not, it- it's going to be geared towards what Abby mentioned in terms of, um, you know, PMS specifically, you know, painful periods and cramping or that dysmenorrhea and, you know, which is driven by the overproduction of prostaglandins, those inflammatory molecules. So I'll often have clients just for something easy, um, buy the ginger people, you know, pressed ginger juice, which is just a pure, like hundred percent ginger juice. You can find it at a lot of whole foods or grab it on Amazon. And I'll have clients put, you know, one to two tablespoons of that in, you know, warm or cool water two even three times a day leading up to their period to disrupt those, um, you know, those inflammatory pathways and specifically to, you know, reduce the prostaglandin activity, um, which can be really effective for period pain. I love that. I love how like when things like are like kind of convenience meets like the kind of therapeutic application and you're like, oh, like this is where, you know, it's like 21st century world. Okay. You're not, you're not so terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, and, and hundred percent admittedly, I, so I, you know, love making the turmeric, you know, ginger juice blends, or I'll sometimes use the, the, um, blender and, you know, put it into ice cube trays, which I'm like, Ooh, I feel so accomplished that I did this. And now I have like my, you know, ginger turmeric tea that I can make easily. And sometimes I just buy the ginger people juice because it's super easy and I don't want to put in the effort, but you know, there's a variety of ways that you can bring, bring these in. So hundred percent. Okay. So next up we have fermented foods. We discussed fermented foods in our functional foods episode in season one, but when it comes to lowering chronic inflammation, it is definitely worth highlighting again. Quick refresher, fermented foods are created through the activity of live organisms, naturally occurring or added, you know, bacteria or yeasts. And fermented foods are essentially made through this controlled microbial growth. Fermentation has been around for ages and ages, and it it really initially was a way to preserve the shelf life of of food so that um, shelf stability. But more recently, fermented foods uh, containing live active cultures have gained a lot of popularity for their nutritional and therapeutic effects on gut health and also against uh, various chronic inflammatory conditions. Fermented foods have the ability to enrich our diets with these live beneficial organisms and natural bioactive polyphenols that have really strong antioxidant activity, decrease oxidative stress, and modulate inflammatory responses in the body. And these bioactive polyphenols are created through the fermentation process. 
A small study was published a couple years ago that looked at the effects of a high fiber diet versus a high fermented foods diet and the impact on microbial diversity and inflammatory markers that specifically modulate immune responses. After just a 10 week intervention, so this was a pretty sh uh, short study, the group of people in this study that were randomized to the high fermented foods diet versus the high fiber diet had significant increases in gut microbial diversity, which is very beneficial, and decreases in inflammatory markers compared to the high fiber group. Super, super cool. And this study is not saying that we shouldn't focus on fiber. Um, this study is highlighting how quickly incorporating fermented foods consistently can actually benefit some of these inflammatory and immune markers and, and help with um, supporting that gut ecosystem. And the two of these together, I think, you know, both, you know, Abby and I would agree. I won't speak for you, Abby, you can chime in. But um, I think the emphasis on fiber and the emphasis on fermented foods consistently, that's like, you know, powerhouse situation right there in my mind. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And both of them is like, start slow. You know, if you're totally new to it, it's like, and you at no point do you need to be eating a full cup of like sauerkraut. Like, I feel like that sounds daunting to like all humans, but sometimes I feel like when we think about fermented foods, it's like some of those really potent flavors that they have. People are like, oh, I don't, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, you don't need to eat it straight. Like mix it into a salad. And it's like really therapeutically, it's like two tablespoons. And we're going to get like some pretty bang for our buck there, especially when it's part of like a larger meal in like a, like a, a bowl, which is what I feel like Jillian and I eat most of our meals out of like bowls when like, like mixes with other foods and things. And I feel like when I talk to clients about that, they're like, oh, oh, okay. Like I could, I could do that. I was like just picturing like eating it straight. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't mind it straight, but I much prefer it like mixed in with like other flavors. And then it's like the acid component with like, you know, the savory and the fat and like all the things that chefs talk about that we want as part of our meals. Totally. And, and I will admit I could, I could shovel the, <laughs> the sauerkraut with the fermented, you know, foods in because I, I actually genuinely love the taste, but, um, for a therapeutic benefit, what I always recommend to clients is two forkfuls two forkfuls, you know, at a meal a day and, you know, of a fermented veggie specifically, sorry to take a step back to highlight the food sources of, you know, fermented foods, you know, the fermented veggies, Abby and I are talking about kimchi, sauerkraut, really any fermented veggies. They have all sorts of fermented veggies nowadays. I love the uh, wild brine beet kraut. So good. Um, you can get fermented carrots. You can get, you know, all, all sorts of fermented veggies. So sometimes I think when we say fermented veggies, people immediately think about kimchi, which definitely has like a pretty, you know, potent flavor. Not everyone loves, but um, fermented veggies as a whole are phenomenal. Traditionally fermented veggies and you only need a couple forkfuls, which is awesome. Other sources of fermented foods would be kefir, uh, Greek or coconut yogurt, miso, um, and even for fermented teas. If you wanted to like, you know, combine two things that you learned in this podcast around, you know, tea and fermentation, um, peak tea actually does have some really great uh, fermented teas, but just to give you a couple sources to explore. And, you know, again, if, if you're completely new to fermented foods, you don't need to go crazy and bring all these things in at once or, or even to have them every day. Maybe choose one thing, you know, to try, play around with some different ways to incorporate it and, and see if there's some ways that you actually enjoy it and could, you know, include it consistently. I'm so pro the like, I mean, I love sauerkraut, um, 
but I like love exploring the like fermented veggies that are non-traditional, I guess we might call them. Um, Micro Mamas has these silly dilly carrots. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh my God. They're like shredded. I don't know. I find them just like easier to like massively consume. (laughs) Like I'll make them, I'll like put them actually as part of like almost as like part of my like salad dressing kind of um, so that I know like, okay, that's going to be like the acid component to it. And then like kind of build around that, even like that in a salad. I literally just actually made a reel of something the other day with like hummus, the silly dilly carrots, um, and then a little bit of like apple cider vinegar. And like that created the like salad dressing. Um, And it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's like creamy and like got like stuff to it. Like so good. I also noticed when I was wearing the continuous blood glucose monitor, um, that when I had fermented foods as part of my meal, my blood sugar was like way more controlled than, you know, it was, it was controlled one way or another. Cause I was having like fiber and protein and all the gut healing plate pieces, but I would see even, even more positive impact to it when I had kind of fermented foods, usually that like vinegar component, that's a part of them too. Um, which is like just a cool, another additional anti-inflammatory benefit from a whole different perspective. I, I love that. And, you know, to your point, you weren't, you know, eating a bucket of, of these things. It was like comp- a complimentary to the meal or a little add on. And, you know, there were direct benefits with, you know, your post-meal blood sugar, which is really cool. Very cool. And then the one thing too, that I think about, um, is we do want them to be from the refrigerated section of the grocery store. So like pickles, um, can be fermented foods if they're like in the refrigerated section and they've kind of got the live active cultures. But if we're buying pickles from like a grocery store shelf, that's like non-refrigerated, they won't have those live cultures. So we kind of, we have to have them be refrigerated to like enable those microbial bodies to live. Um, so that's just a little distinguished. I was talking to a client the other day, um, and we were kind of going down to that and realizing like, oh, this is definitely something we kind of want to speak to. And and a, another quick tip to build on that, if you look at the ingredient list of, you know, something that you think may be fermented, if it if it has vinegar in the ingredient list, it is likely not a traditionally fermented food. The kind of vinegary, kind of pickly taste comes from the fermentation process, which is going to involve water, you know, water and salt and time, essentially. Um, and, you know, a few other steps as well, not to like oversimplify. But if it contains vinegar, it, it likely is not traditionally fermented. That's a good tip. I actually like didn't I mean, I knew that, but I feel like I didn't like know that as clearly. So that's like very helpful to just being like, here's what we're going to look for in the ingredient label, like live active cultures and no vinegar. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There, there's your take on fermented foods, people. <laughs> um, so a couple brands, I mentioned Wild Brine, you mentioned Micro Mamas. Micro Mamas. Any other good? Oh, Cleveland Kraut is another good one. Oh, yeah. I like theirs. They have a good... Um, different blends that have like, you know, caraway seeds or, you know, a spicy one just to kind of switch it up a little bit. I feel like those are the big ones, like the bigger brands I'm familiar with besides like local stuff. Yeah. I always keep an eye. I do feel like, you know, Whole Foods does do a pretty good job of like cycling in. Like I feel like I usually pick up some like new brands that come. I do like the glass containers for fermented Mm -hmm. foods. Um, so I usually kind of shop those ones more, more, but I feel like there's a good, like, that's where I found like micro mamas that I was like, what are these magical carrots? Um, and, and then we've got dill in there too. 
but so I feel like just kind of like getting curious and like trying some things out. Um, that's like, I feel like that, that's how we find like our, our best stuff is like, Ooh, I haven't tried this before. I love it. I love it. So we've talked about phytonutrients, herbs and spices, teas, fermented foods. Do you want to wrap up with a couple other honorable mentions? Just honorable, worthy mentions. We're really not going to dive into them because we already have, but omega-3 fatty acids we dove into in episode 23, um, and minerals, which we've kind of spoken to in episode one and episode three, um, and hydration, kind of just water, are definitely big influencers um, to help to kind of conclude that chronic inflammatory signaling in the body. And I think we've I think we've kind of got a good list going here. So we want to hear from you all about like your kind of, you know, mental, like kind of list of how many anti-inflammatory foods you actually maybe are already eating that maybe you didn't recognize were like such powerful compounds in food. And then like how simple it can be to start to like rack those up. Like I literally felt like this week I was like playing a video game and having like those like points like pop up on my head. Like every time I was like, oh, Ceylon cinnamon, like, yep. And it was like, ding, ding, ding. And then like, I, <laughs> I, love that. I was like, oh my God, what is happening in my brain? But like, I'm totally, it was all the antioxidants. Like that's what it so was. So <laughs> good. So good. Star for you and star for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, and now I get yeah. a treat. <laughs> oh my gosh. So good. Amazing. Well, keep us posted and we will see you in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to the Your Body Has Your Back podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and make sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think might benefit from listening. Make sure to follow the Your Body Has Your Back Instagram and to share your favorite episodes and definitely tag us as you start to live out the Your Body Has Your Back lifestyle. We can't wait to see it. If you're looking for more support on your gut and hormone healing journey, connect with Abby and I over on Instagram. You can follow Abby at Above Health and you can follow me, Jillian, at Jillian Greaves RD. Thank you and see you in the next episode.